Welcome to The Word Encounter, episode 263. We are currently in the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is a book that is highly symbolic, and there's a lot of symbolism used, and therefore, sometimes it can be difficult to follow what's going on. In addition, God hasn't revealed everything uh, through, the, through John in the book of Revelation, and so he's left uh, some things for us to ponder, and so it's mysterious. And so between these two things, uh, things can be a little bit difficult at times to follow, which has been one of my uh, frustrations and difficulties over the years, trying to get a grasp on the book of Revelation. But be that as it may, uh, let's get going. We ended in chapter 7 uh, yesterday, and to recall, chapter 7 uh, is, is, is a chapter that seems to be a pause between the breaking of the sixth seal and the seventh seal. And it seems as though uh, that God has instituted this pause uh, of breaking these seals in order to give um, his people a chance to come to him. And so it's during this time uh, that he has sealed uh, the 144,000. There are 12 tribes of Israel. There were 12,000 people per tribe uh, that the word says are sealed by God for his protection for their protection, I should say, so that they would not be counted amongst the ones who were being persecuted in this time of tribulation. Uh, it also says that um, <clears throat> there were great multitudes that would come uh, to the Lord out of the tribulation. So this indicates to me that during the tribulation is still not too late, that people can still come to Jesus. And so it says that a great multitude came to the Lord during this time. Now, in chapter 8, we pick up where the seventh seal now is being broken. And so that, uh, that break or that pause is now over. So let's go on to chapter 8 in verse 1. It says, when he opened the seventh seal, uh, this is an angel, when he opened the seventh seal, there was a silence in heaven for about half an hour. So I think that that's another uh, indication that God really wants to give people every opportunity to be saved. And so it says the seventh seal was broken, but there was a delay. There was a pause until the actions caused by the breaking of the seventh seal uh, commenced, initiated. But after that time was over, it says in verse two, and then I saw the angels in heaven, or then I saw, excuse me, then I saw the seven angels who stand in the presence of God. Seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel with a golden incense burner came and stood at the altar. He was given a large amount of incense to offer uh, with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar in front of the throne. The word says he was given um, a large amount of incense. So this is, to me, symbolizes that there were a large amount of prayers from the saints, you know, a huge number of prayers from the saints. And so this angel was given a large amount of incense for those prayers. Then it says in verse four, the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up to, uh, in the presence of God from the angel's hand. The angel took the incense burner, filled it uh, with fire from the altar and hurled it to the earth. Huh. There were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of, of lightning, and an earthquake. And so to me, it seems like these prayers from the saints are prayers for um, justice 
from their persecution. That's the way it seems. It seems as though uh, the prayers from the saints, they're praying, they're praying with regard to the persecuting, uh, the persecution that they've been experiencing through throughout history, through the years. And so this angel has collected them, those prayers, uh, the incense and the, 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 the aroma and the smoke from the incense along with the prayers went up to the Lord. And then it says, threw it down on earth, in my opinion, that seems to symbolize that it's time for these prayers to be answered and God's judgment to be executed. <clears throat> now let's get into these seven trumpets. And so there were seven trumpets in the seventh seal. So these seven, uh, these seven trumpets, you know, again, are symbolizing things. And so let's go on to verse seven. It says, the first angel blew his trumpet and hell and fire mixed with blood were hurled down to the earth. So a third of the earth was burned up, a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. The second trumpet. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain ablaze with fire was hurled into the sea, uh, so that a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third trumpet. It says the third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star, blazing like a torch, fell from heaven. It fell on a third of the rivers and springs of water. The name of the star was Wormwood, and a third of the waters became Wormwood. So many of the people died from the waters because they had been made bitter. The fourth trumpet. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened. A third of the day was without light, and also a third of the night. In verse 13, I looked and heard an angel flying overhead, crying out in a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to those who live on the earth because of the remaining trumpet blast that the three angels are about to sound. And so we just have four trumpet blasts. We still have three more to go. And so an angel is flying overhead, warning people, more is coming. It ain't over. More is coming. <clears throat> Let's go to chapter nine. And it says the fifth trumpet. The fifth angel blew his trumpet. And I saw a star that had fallen from heaven to the earth. The key for the shaft to the abyss, uh, to the abyss was given to him. Now, there's debate. Uh, in the theological community with regard to who this star is or what this star represents. Some people think it represents Jesus. Other people think it re represents Satan. It's not really clear who, um, who the star represents. But what is clear is that the star had fallen from heaven to earth and whoever it was was given a key to the shaft of the abyss, was given a key to the depths of hell, and it was given to him. Why? So he could unlock the depths of hell. Now, is that, is that Jesus? Is that Satan? Well, let's keep reading, and then you determine what you think. I, I know what I think, but I'm probably about 51 to 55% sure of that, so I really don't know. It says, he opened the shaft to the abyss, and the smoke came up out of the shaft like smoke from a great furnace, so that the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke from the shaft. So the key was given to this, uh, to this one, to this star who had fallen uh, to the earth, and he unlocked the shaft to the abyss, 
and then smoke pillow, you know, billowed out of the shaft and it, it covered things <clears throat> and it made things dark. And then it says in verse three, then locusts came out of the smoke uh, onto the earth and power was given to them like the power of scorpions have on earth. And so scorpions came out from the shaft. Smoke came out, then scorpions came out. They were given power like scorpions. And so it's still not clear. Is this the Lord unlocking this for judgment on the earth? Or is this Satan unlocking this in order to punish people? I don't know. <laughs> or to bring, you know, uh, you know, doom and gloom and, and that sort of thing. <clears throat> Verse 4. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree. Now, locusts, that's what they eat. They eat greenery. <laughs> okay, That's what they eat. And it says, but these locusts were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree. But only those people who do not have God's seal on their foreheads. And so these locusts were given permission to harm those people who did not have God's seal. And so that's why it, it's a little bit confusing because I can see if this was Jesus unlocking the abyss for the locusts to come out, but his people are protected from what they're about to do. They're protected from harm. I could see that. See, But I can see that being Satan too, unlocking his beasts in order to punish the earth, but he can only do what he's given permission to do. See, it was just like Job. See, uh, Satan could only do certain things to Job that God allowed for him to do. And so this could be a similar thing where Satan wants to wreak havoc, but he can only do what God allows him to do. And that being, leave my people alone. You can tell my people by the seal on their forehead. Then he says in verse five, they, the locusts, were not permitted to kill them, but were to torment them for five months. And so the locusts were not permitted to kill the ones who did not have the mark on their forehead, but they were given permission to torment them for five months. Their torment is like the torment caused by a scorpion when it stings someone. And if you know, if you, if you Google like locusts and whatnot, the swarms are very, very dense. You know, we're not talking about a, a few locusts per cubic meter or whatever. I mean, we're talking about dense. And so if you have a bunch of locusts stinging you, you know, but they can't kill you, but they're stinging you, you would be in a tremendous amount of pain, tremendous in torment. In verse six, it says so much so that in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. And so the purpose of these locusts is to punish, is to torture, basically. That's the purpose of these locusts. They're not to kill, but they're given permission to torture. And again, the locusts could be symbolic of, of something else. But what we know is that their purpose here is to torture people for five months. Then it says in verse 12, the first woe has passed. However, there are still two more woes to come. So this plague of the locusts that could, uh, that could torture people for five months but couldn't kill them, that was the first woe. But we still have uh, more trumpet blasts, you know, two more woes to come. So uh, let me see. Let me back up for a second. Yeah, that was the fifth blast. So let's go to the sixth trumpet blast. It says in verse six, uh, 13, 
The sixth angel blew his trumpet from the four horns of the uh, golden altar that was before God. I heard a voice say to the sixth angel who had a trumpet, release the four angels bound at the river Euphrates. And so now, now that the, these angels that have been held back now are being loosed so they can do what they're assigned to do. So the four angels were prepared for the hour, day, month, and year uh, for the four angels who were prepared for the hour, day, month, and year were released to kill a third of the human race. They were held back, but now they're released, you see. And so if we uh, do some counting, now when this happens, over a, uh, excuse me, over a half of the world's population has now been killed. You know, whenever that time comes, it will be over half at this point in time. We're almost 8 billion people a day, so that's almost 4 billion people gone. And we don't know what the mechanism is. You know, we don't know if this is war. We don't know if this is famine, plague, you know, pandemic. You know, we don't know anything. It just says over half. Verse 16, it says, the number of mounted troops was 200 million. 200 million. And so uh, that number was unheard of in those days, but in these days, I believe the Chinese army has at least 200 million or can amass 200 million. But allies around the world, you know, the United States allied with some other people, they can probably amass roughly, if not over 200 million. And so who, who knows what this number represents? There's been a lot of speculation with regard to what this number or which army or which armies this number represents. Let's see. Let's go to verse 18. It says, a third of the human race was killed by these three plagues, by the fire, the smoke, and the sulfur. And so, you know, we, we just have a tremendous amount of death going on in the earth. Then it says in verse 20, the rest of the people who were not killed by these plagues, <laughs> this was their response, they did not repent of the works of their hands to stop worshiping demons and idols, and they did not repent of their murders, their sorceries, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. So the people, even during this time of tribulation, during this time of pain and anguish, during this time of death and destruction, massive death and destruction, they still didn't repent, and they kept doing their dastardly deeds. They, they kept on with their wickedness, even in this time. So, let's go on to chapter 10. And it says, the mighty angel and the small scroll. In verse 1, it says, Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud, with a rainbow over his head. His face was like the sun. His legs were like pillars of fire. In verse 2, And he held a little scroll opened in his hand. He put his right foot on the sea and his left on the land. Putting his right foot on the sea and the left in the land represents the entire earth. Okay? So he's come with something for the entire earth, not just specific territories. And he called out with a loud voice uh, like a roaring lion. When he cried out, the seven thunders raised their voice, voices. And it says, 
And when the seventh thunder spoke, I was about to write it down. But I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up what the seven thunders said and do not write it down. Now, this is interesting. Um, God can reveal whatever he wants to reveal and he can keep to himself whatever he wants to keep to himself. He can keep it under wraps until he's ready or not to disclose it. He doesn't disclose everything to his people. And so this is one of those things. He, uh, John saw something, but the Lord stopped him from writing it down. He said, no, 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 no. Seal up what the thunder said and do not write it down. You know, in other words, uh, whatever you saw, whatever you heard, keep it to yourself. Do not reveal this. Nobody knows what that is. Verse five, then the angel that, had, uh, that I had seen standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven. He swore by the one who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, the sea and what is in it. There will no longer be a delay. Now, remember, when God says there will no longer be a delay, he's speaking from his perspective. <laughs> he has a different perspective on time than we do. You know, in the word, it says a day is as a thousand years. So we, you know, we don't know. But he does say here, John says that God says there will no longer be a delay. But in the days when the seventh angel will blow his trumpet, then the mystery of God will be completed as he announced to his servants, the prophets. So we see here that this implies that there's going to be some time between the blowing of the sixth trumpet and the seventh trumpet. You know, this, this, this implies that there's going to be some time in there for folk to do stuff. Now, does that mean that they're still going to be able to turn to the Lord, repent? I think so, but I don't know. You know, I don't know what this pause is for, but the, it's implying that there's going to be a pause here between the sixth and the seventh blowing of the trumpet. In verse eight, verse eight, then the voice that I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, Take the scroll that lies open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and asked him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, take and eat it. It will be bitter in your stomach, but it will be sweet as honey in your mouth. Then he says in verse 10, then I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I ate it, my stomach became bitter. So what does he mean by this? What exactly does this mean? <clears throat> Knowing what God wants you to deliver, what God wants you to do or say, proclaim, whatever. When you know that you know that you know this, that you know that there's no question in your mind that this is the voice of God who wants to either speak through you or wants your hands and feet to do something from him, that can be very thrilling. Because it's like I'm being used by God. This is not of my imagination. I'm not dreaming this up. I'm not thinking this up. I'm being used by God. That can be extremely thrilling. However, when the implications of what he wants you to say or do become clear, sorrow and grief can be a result if what he wants you to do or wants you to say is going to, from your perspective, bring pain and injury on people. That can be a tough pill to swallow. 
And so it can be thrilling to know that you're being used by God. And so that taste in your mouth can be like honey, very sweet. But when and if you recognize the pain that what you're about to say or do can cause people, then it can be very bitter in your stomach and you might not want to do it. You know, and so because to me, if you didn't have those sort of feelings, you wouldn't really be human. (laughs) And so then in verse 11, and they said to me, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. In in other words, regardless of how you feel about what you're about to do, you don't have an option. You have to do it. You must do it. And so, you know, again, this can be very uh, tough, you know, when you realize that you have non-optional things that are on your plate to either say or do or both, and what the implications of that are going to be, then you can have an inner struggle with regard to doing or saying it. But if you know that you know that you know that this is the Lord, you don't have a choice. You must be obedient. And with that, we are finished for today. We'll pick up uh, chapter 11 tomorrow. Uh, And I just want to go back to to Romans 10 and... um, chapter 10, that is, uh, verses 9 through 13. I'm just going to read it here. We've got a little time. The message is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. This is the message of faith that we proclaim. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, Anyone who believes on him will not be put to shame, since there is no distinction between Jew or Greek, because the same Lord of all richly blesses all uh, who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Not might be saved, not probably will be saved, but it says will be saved. That's a promise from God the Father and God the Son themselves. And that's confirmed by the Holy Spirit. And so, if you have not done so as of yet, you know, consider the proposition presented to you by the Lord. Just believe in me. Believe that I am who I say I am. Believe that everything that I have said is in fact true. And if you believe these things, you, you, won't have, you won't have an option to not confess them. You will want to confess them. And so confess them. Be an oracle for my testimony. Let others know about who I am. Everybody stay safe. Be blessed. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And should he happen, through his grace and mercy, give us another day of life. We'll see you tomorrow for the next episode of the Word Encounter as we march through the book of Revelation. Bye-bye.